that we had a good Christmas. Those of you that were here for a Christmas service, we had a great, great morning, great time together, and um, had a good, good Christmas service as a family. So uh, I want to get right into what we're talking about. We've been talking about it for a couple weeks now, um, and we've been discussing the Holy Spirit. And we started a couple weeks on this. Um, first, we said that we're going to introduce the person of the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, a lot of people, when we hear or talk about the Holy Spirit, we look at it as a reference to power or to a presence or a feeling, an emotional drive, these type of things. But uh, we forget, and it hasn't been brought to illumination as much, that the Holy Spirit is a person. Um, and when you get to know a person, you want to cultivate or grow a relationship. Um, we want to have a relationship with God. We talk about having a relationship with Jesus Christ, but a lot of times we forget that God and Jesus are both in heaven. And Jesus specifically left us with someone to help us do what we're called to do here on this earth, and that is the Holy Spirit. So it seems to me that we ought to spend a little bit of time getting to know the Holy Spirit as a person, getting to know uh, who he is, why he's here, what he's helping us do. Um, and these type of things. And so we started looking at that a couple of weeks ago. The first thing we saw was that in the very beginning, back in Genesis, the very first chapter, the very second verse of the entire Bible, we already see the Holy Spirit being mentioned. The Holy Spirit is mentioned, and uh, he was right there when God was creating the earth. Remember, God said, let there be uh, let there be light. And he created the heavens and the earth with his words. And who is the word? Jesus. But the actual creation that was taking place was by the Holy Spirit himself. The verse, the second verse of Genesis chapter 1 says uh, that the Holy Spirit was hovering over the earth. What's he doing? He's waiting for God to speak what he wants to have put in place, and then the Holy Spirit makes it happen. So the Holy Spirit becomes the performer. And then we saw in Genesis chapter 2, when God created man out of the dust of the ground, he breathed into man, the Spirit, His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, was then put into mankind. And then we saw, as we continued to go on, that man obviously uh, got off of his original plan, got off of what God wanted him to do in the earth, and sinned, disobeyed what God uh, asked him to do, the, the order and the, the spoken word that he gave, do not eat from the tree, Man ate from the tree, sinned, disobeyed God. And so we see in Genesis chapter 6 where Noah shows up that God actually said, My spirit cannot abide or live with man any longer. Because where sin is, God cannot be. God and sin cannot coexist. They cannot be in the same place at the same time. So because sin was in man, God had to remove his spirit. And from that time on, God was seeking the earth, looking upon the earth for a righteous man. Anybody in the Bible that you see that God used, he was looking for a righteous person. He was able to use Moses. He was able to use Abraham. He was able to use Joseph and David and Gideon, uh, all these people, because they were righteous, because they obeyed God. And so that's what he was looking for. But God's big picture was always that all of mankind would have the ability to... Uh, have God's spirit abide and live in him so that man could fulfill their purpose on the earth. So for God to get his spirit back into mankind, he had to pull out what causes separation in the first place, and that was sin. So God sent his only son, he sent Jesus, to die on the cross, to, to raise again, to rise again. That's why we celebrate this particular season. But he did that not just to give us entrance into heaven or not just to, to uh, you know, give us a better life on the earth. He did that so he could remove sin out of mankind so he could place his spirit back in mankind. Because God's original order, God's original plan, he never walked away from. He never put it down. He never said, well, let's just forget that plan. Let's move to something else. He always had plans in place, different plans but it was always to get back to the ultimate plan, and that was to have man abide and uh, pursue God's will on the earth. God wants this earth to look like heaven. God wants everything around us, everything that we live in, everything that uh, happens to us, it needs to look like heaven. 
So in heaven, there's no sickness. In heaven, there's no pain. In heaven, there's no worry or anxiety or, uh, you know, these different circumstances that we deal with on a daily basis. And so God put it upon mankind to bring heaven's realm to the earth. But man could not accomplish this without God's spirit living inside of him. Basically, you could put it this way. The Holy Spirit became the communicator between heaven and between earth, between the unseen realm and the seen realm. And God wanted this seen realm to look like the unseen realm. The problem is, is sin came in and corrupted everything. So now we've got decay. We've got death. We've got sickness. We've got pain. We've got uh, wars and rumors of wars and uh, mothers and, and, and uh, children arguing and, and husbands and wives arguing and, and just all kinds of discourse. Governments are failing. Economics is failing. Uh, you know, the, the music market, all this is, is going corrupt because of what sin brought into the earth. But God isn't just looking to take man out of that mess. He's looking for man to change the mess. He's looking for man to change all that. He's looking for a person to get into government and change it back to what it's supposed to be. He's looking for a man that will follow him and will follow his word to get back in the sports industry and preach his gospel and make him known. So this is what God's purpose is. To do that, man has to have the Holy Spirit. The next thing that we looked at was that Jesus, when he came on the earth, being born of the Spirit, but still being 100% flesh and 100% man, had to have the Holy Spirit come upon him to do what? Fulfill his purpose. Man's true purpose in the earth cannot be fulfilled without the Holy Spirit living within them and living upon them. And so Jesus, even Jesus Christ, even the Son of God, even God in the flesh, had to receive the Holy Spirit. We saw that John the Baptist baptized him. When he came up, the Holy Spirit descended upon him. And it wasn't until that action took place that Jesus went and started doing miracles, started doing signs and wonders, started casting out demons. Up until that, you don't see much of Jesus except for when he was born, when he was about 12, and then up until this point. And so at that point, when John the Baptist baptized him, the Holy Spirit came upon him, and that empowered Jesus, enabled him to do what he was called to do, which ultimately his true purpose was to die on the cross, to, bring, uh, to take sin out and bring his spirit back in the earth so that man could do what Jesus did. Okay? Last week we took a look at what Jesus specifically had to say about the Holy Spirit. And in John chapter uh, 14 through 17, just a quick review, um, Jesus was talking with his disciples, and this was right before he was about to go and die on the cross. And you know that when someone writes their last words, so to speak, um, are very important. When someone knows that they're getting ready to leave an assignment, when they know they're getting ready to leave the earth, when they know they're getting ready to leave a specific location and a certain group of people, their last words are binding. Their last words are very important, and you want to pay close attention. And in these last three chapters, 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is sitting at the Last Supper with his disciples, and he talks mainly about two things. One of the subjects was love, and that's a whole other topic, but one of the main things he taught on and talked about was love and the love walk and how if you truly are my disciples, you'll be known by your love for other people, and you'll be known by your love for me, and you'll be known by your love for God. The other thing that he talked about, though, was the Holy Spirit, and he spent quite uh, quite a bit mentioning and talking about the Holy Spirit. And we saw last week that there were four specific things that he said that the Holy Spirit would do. First of all, he said that I will leave. I will go to the Father. And he actually said this, it is better for me. It is to your advantage, it is to your goodwill that I go to the Father and the Holy Spirit come and live inside of you. Because if I'm here, I'm the only one who can do what I'm doing. But if I go to the Father, then, my, then his spirit can come, live inside of you, and you can do what I'm doing. And now there's more people doing what I'm doing. Okay? So what he said the Holy Spirit would do was, first, guide us into all truth. So he is our guide. Secondly, he said that he would teach us. So the Holy Spirit is a teacher. So first, he's a guide. Second, he's a teacher. He would also bring to our remembrance the words of Jesus. 
he would help us remember what this Bible says. So when we're studying, when we go to church, when we're in our own personal devotion, when we're hearing the word spoken, it's being stored within us, and the Holy Spirit helps bring that back to our remembrance. And then the last thing that Jesus said he would do would, uh, would be to show us things to come. He would reveal to us, reveal to us our future or our purpose. And uh, I said this last week that uh, you don't want someone leading you somewhere that they've never been. So it's exciting to know that the Holy Spirit has already been in our future. He's already been uh, where God wants us to be. I said this last week that um, our future is in God's past. The Bible says that that the steps of a righteous man are ordered or ordained of the Lord, which means they're already planned out. They've already been laid out. And now, see, we're not walking through life with God. He's not walking through with us, and, and when a surprise hits us, then he's surprised. Or something shocks us, and wow, I wasn't expecting that report, or I wasn't expecting that bill, or I wasn't expecting this thing to happen at work. No, there's no surprises. And so that means that God has the answer to get you out of the problem you just got into. So the Holy Spirit is to come alongside us and help us reveal to us our future. He has placed the Holy Spirit within us. So whenever we get into any situation, all we have to do is pray, and the Holy Spirit will reveal to us what we're supposed to do. That's exciting. That's exciting to know that we're not just walking through this thing blindly. It may seem like you can't see very far ahead. Things may shock us, but there is someone that lives inside of us. There is someone that is in another realm that will reveal to, reveal to us how to get out of the situation we just got into. And so those are uh, four of the main areas that Jesus revealed to us the Holy Spirit would do. Um, tonight, I want to get into... Um, part of how the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. Um, There's actually two parts to to the gift of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to look at it tonight. The first is the Holy Spirit living within a person, and the second is the Holy Spirit coming upon a person. And I don't know that we'll get um, so far as to explaining the Holy Spirit coming upon someone, um, but I'm going to go ahead and start with the Holy Spirit living within someone And then we'll see where we're able to go from there. We're going to start with John chapter 20. We're going to start with John chapter 20 and verse 19. John 20 and verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, so real quick, just a quick picture. Jesus has just risen from the grave. His disciples are in fear because they just put to death their leader. And if they become associated with the person they just put to death, they could possibly be put to death also. If you know anything about the Romans, you know anything about uh, their government, uh, you know, they just didn't care. They'd kill you and they didn't have to have an answer for it. They didn't have to have a reason. Um, so this is who they're up against. So the disciples are in fear. And Jesus shows up in the building, the house where they were. They've got it all locked up, and he shows up anyways. And he says, Peace be with you. Verse 20, When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Verse 21, So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So right now, he's telling the disciples, everything that you've seen for the last three years in this ministry and everything you've been following me and everything you've seen me do, as the Father, God, has placed me in the earth, I am now sending you into the earth to do. Verse 22, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So he's just commissioned them and said, I'm sending you into the world to do what I did. Now, here is what you need to do what I'm, what I'm sending you to do. Receive the Holy Spirit. Basically, he's saying, the assignment I'm giving to, I'm giving to you right now, you are not capable of doing on your own. 
you must have someone come alongside you. Jesus, over in John chapter, uh, in John chapter 14, when he introduces the Holy Spirit and starts saying, I'm leaving, but I'm sending you, he uses a word there. It's the word another. He says, I'm sending you another. And that word another um, does not mean something else like me. It means of an exact representation or exactly like me, exactly what I am, exactly what I've done, exactly uh, who I am on the earth. That's what I'm sending and placing on the earth to help you and to work alongside you. So, uh, So remember that Jesus has already told his disciples, I'm sending you another, and this is the another, receive the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 23, he tells them the message that you'll preach. You're going to preach forgiveness, and you're going to preach what happens if they don't repent. And if they if they repent, great. If they don't repent, but he's telling them you're preaching both sides. You're not just preaching repentance and then forgetting the going to hell part. There's both sides here is what he's telling them. But now look at this. Let's go to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Remember that he just told his disciples receive the Holy Spirit, and he breathed on them. We saw um, a couple weeks ago that that was exactly what God did with Adam. When God placed his spirit inside of Adam, what did he do? He breathed into that dust of the ground and placed his spirit. Notice that Adam did not come to life, although he had already created Adam. Adam did not come to life until he breathed his spirit into him. That's the three-part nature of a man. And our spirit, uh, ha- your, a, a spirit being to operate in the earth has to have a flesh suit, period. There is no spirit being that operates in the earth without flesh. God, pl- God put that in place. This is why God had to send his son. Otherwise, God could have just spoke from heaven and said, man is redeemed. Man is bought back. Man, I'm clearing man of sin, and I'm placing you back within my will but he couldn't do that because he had already put into plan i have to have a man do my bidding i have to have a man do my purpose and my will on the earth so he sends his son as a man so we see right here uh, that he has placed his he has breathed into them and said receive my holy spirit receive the spirit that i'm sending you to help you accomplish the will and the task and the assignment that i'm placing upon you as i as i have been sent into the world i'm now sending you but look what he says over here in luke chapter 24 in verse 49 this is jesus again speaking to his disciples and he says behold i send the promise of my father upon you But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Now, we just saw that he placed his spirit within the disciples. We just saw that. He said, receive the Holy Spirit, and he breathed in them. What's he doing? Placing that Holy Spirit within them so they can accomplish and do the will of the Father. But here, he's telling them to go and wait for it. The promise there he's speaking of is the Holy Spirit, the promised one. So why is he telling his disciples to go and wait for something that supposedly he just placed within them? He just breathed on them, just said, receive the Holy Spirit. And now he's telling them, go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. So obviously there's a difference between what just took place and what he's referring to now. Let's go to Acts chapter 1. Just a little side note, Luke wrote both the books, Luke and Acts. So we just saw that Luke ended his one book with Jesus telling his disciples to go and wait for the Holy Spirit. Now look over here in Acts chapter 1, which is also written by Luke, and starting with verse 4. So we're at the beginning of this thing. Verse 4, and being assembled together with them, he's talking about Jesus, He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. So there it is again. Wait for the promise, which, he said, you have heard from me. He's saying, you have heard from me because 
Look, remember all that time I just spent talking to you about the Holy Spirit? Remember all that time that I told you that the Comforter was coming? I was sending you a helper. He was going to guide you into all truth. He was going to teach you things. He's going to show you things to come. He's going to bring things to your remembrance. This is the Holy Spirit you just heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized. Shall is future. Shall is the word will. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he's talking about something that has not taken place yet. Although he has already told his disciples to receive the Holy Spirit and he breathed the Holy Spirit into them. Now he's telling them to go and wait for the Holy Spirit. So obviously Jesus, he's not confused. He doesn't have bad memory. He doesn't re- it's not that he forgot that he just put his spirit within them. He's talking about two separate instances. He's talking about two things. So here's where we're at. Here are the two things we're looking at. The first one is the indwelling or the Holy Spirit coming within you. That passage that we just read in John chapter 20, where Jesus came into the house and breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. This is what is known as when the disciples became saved. Remember that nobody could be saved, nobody could accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior without Jesus dying as their Lord and Savior. Because one of the stipulations is you have to believe that he died on the cross and rose again. That's one of the stipulations. If you have to confess, you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus died, rose again to give us eternal life, and now he, you make him Lord and Savior. Well, you can't do that without Jesus actually dying and rising again. So once Jesus died, once he rose again, he went to his disciples and said, Receive the Holy Spirit and breathe on them. And this is what is known as when the disciples became saved. Because you're not going to find anywhere in the Bible where Peter, John, James, you know, Matthew, any of these guys actually prayed the salvation prayer. You're not going to find it. But since Jesus had died, since he rose again, they believe it. I mean, you look there in some of his dissertations there at the end when he's meeting with the disciples after he rose, and he actually got on to them for their unbelief. Because people would say, he's risen. He's alive. We've seen him. We'd go back to the disciples, and the disciples would say, we saw him die. Totally forgetting that Jesus said this would happen. It's been prophesied. It's going to take place. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again in three days. They forget all that. They didn't remember any of that. And instead, we're living in fear. And so when other people would come back and say, we just saw Jesus, they would say, you're crazy. So when Jesus actually shows up, he would actually tell them. He actually told them, are you serious? I've been talking to you about this. I've told you many times. So he would actually rebuke them for their unbelief. But now that they've believed, he prays and his Holy Spirit comes and lives within them. At the point of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within every believer. The Holy Spirit will come and live within you. This is why. We know over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, when, you, when, a, when a person uh, believes on the Lord Jesus, they are made a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Your spirit is made new. Your spirit is made alive. The problem is, is you alone do not have the capability to live according to the spirit. So now the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you to enable you to live according to the spirit. This is why the Holy Spirit comes and lives within you at the point of salvation. Every believer that has prayed the prayer of salvation believes that Jesus died on the cross, rose again, makes, them, makes him Lord of their life. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells within them, lives within them. This is the first instance. Let's look at this in Romans chapter 8 real quick. Romans chapter 8. This is what Paul has to say about every believer that has the Holy Spirit live within them. Uh, verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. 
So right there he says, if you have the Holy Spirit living within you, if the Spirit of God is living within you, you are no longer flesh, you are now spirit, which means your spirit has now been made alive, and you can now do things out of your spirit. Before someone becomes saved, before someone becomes born again, they do not have the ability to live according to their spirit within them. Every person on the, place of this, on the face of this planet is a three-part being is a spirit, possesses a soul, lives in a body. The problem is, is until you are born again, your spirit is dead, which means you are only being controlled by your flesh and by your soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. So you will notice that people, before they accept Jesus as their Savior, they are emotionally led. They are led by what they want to do, their will, and they are led by what they think. Period. There is not one person on the face of this planet that, if they are not born again, is led by their spirit. They can't be. They are led by their flesh. They're led by their lusts and their desires. That's what drives them, whether it be money, uh, whether it be women, whether it be uh, jobs, whether it be whatever. They're led by their flesh and things on the outside, how they feel. And they'll tell you, this is how I feel today and this is what I feel like doing. They're led by their emotions. If they're angry at someone, they're going to act angry. If they're sad, then they're going to act sad and, and, and droopy. If, they, if, they're, if they're happy, then they're going to act happy. Okay? They have, no, uh, they have no ability to be led by their spirit. But when someone is born again, now their spirit is made alive, and now the spirit has a say-so. This is what we were talking about in Kingdom Mind Renewal, that your mind is the, is the decision maker. Your mind is the one that makes the choice. Am I going to be led by my spirit, or am I going to be led by my flesh? Just because you're saved doesn't mean that you automatically live by the spirit. But... God gave us someone, God gave us a person, a spirit, his spirit, to help us live by the spirit. So this is what we're seeing right here. Let's keep on going. Verse 9, but, if, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ, he is not his. So he's telling you right there, if you don't have the spirit of God living in you, then you aren't saved. You are not born again. Very simple. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. So your spirit is now made alive. Verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, we're talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit actually residing within you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So he's saying it several times here. If you are born again, my spirit lives inside of you. And my spirit lives inside of you to help you live out this new life in the spirit. Life in the spirit does not mean that we just walk around and ignoring everything around us and, and acting like we're up on a different level and we can't communicate and talk with people. It means that your spirit is making the override or making the final decision, not your flesh. That your spirit is having the say-so, not your flesh. So instead of cussing out your coworker, you walk in love. Instead of, uh, you know... Giving in to what the doctor says about your body, you start speaking healing over your body. Amen. This is a life in the spirit instead of a life in the flesh. And your mind is the one that makes those decisions. And your mind will not make a decision according to the spirit unless it is renewed to the spirit. Very simple. Okay. Uh, we know further on that uh, Paul even said that you are a temple. Your body, once you are born again, once you are saved, becomes a temple. What's a temple? A house. It's simply a house. And who's living in that house? The Holy Spirit. So we now, in fact, Paul even made a statement, I am no longer my own. I've been bought with a price. I belong to somebody else, which means 
that there's somebody now living within my house that ought to call the shots. And he's determining what goes in the house. And he's determining what needs to go out of the house. And he needs to determine what the house looks like. Okay? That's, this is the Holy Spirit. Now, basically, just to make it very simple, when I say that the Holy Spirit dwells in you, remember that sin had to come out for the Holy Spirit to come in. The, the Holy Spirit cannot dwell where sin is. Now, when I say that, I don't mean that that means you will never sin or that if you sin, the Holy Spirit leaves you. That's not what I mean. The Bible makes it very clear that there is someone, there is a difference between someone that occasionally sins and habitually sins. A habitual sinner is what we call a practicer of evil or a practicer of sin, which means you continue to do wrong even though you know not to do it. There are people out there that are doing wrong and sinning, knowing that it's a sin and knowing they ought not to do it and do it anyways. This is a practicer of evil. Now, the Holy Spirit has been given to us to help us get away from a life of sin, to help us get away of a life in the flesh. When I say a life in the flesh, that, that means... You can basically put it this way. A life in the flesh, flesh calls the shots. Life in the spirit, the spirit calls the shots. When Jesus is your Lord, that means he dictates what you do with your life. And when he's your Lord, the Holy Spirit comes into your life to help you make the right decision. Very simple. So when I'm in a scenario where I can uh, operate out of my flesh or I can operate out of my spirit... If the Holy Spirit's living within me, he is there to help me make a right choice. Okay? And as we get further along in this, further along in this thing, we're going to look at a life in the Spirit. We're going to look at what a life committed to the Holy Spirit looks like and what he does. Basically, you can put it this way. The Holy Spirit has been given to us and dwells within us to help us have good character. To have the right character. This is why the Holy Spirit dwells within you. Very simple. He dwells within us so, we, so our character can be changed. Now, here's the thing to notice about Jesus. Jesus was not born of flesh. Jesus was born of the Spirit. Remember that Mary was a virgin when she gave birth to Jesus. Jesus was not born of flesh like you and I. He was born of the Holy Spirit, and she conceived Jesus by the Holy Spirit. Okay? That means that Jesus, since he was born of the Spirit, already had the Spirit living within him from the time he was born. The time he was born. Which means that the Holy Spirit, at the age of five, at the age of seven, at the age of 18, enabled him to make the right choice and have the right character. To have the character of the kingdom of God. Because the Spirit was already within him. Jesus did not have to say a prayer. Jesus did not have to have God breathe on him and breathe the breath of life, or breathe the breath of Holy Spirit into him. It was in him from birth. He's the only other person besides Adam, the only other person besides Adam that had the Holy Spirit already living within him, helping him make the right decisions, uh, establish good character, and live by the Spirit. But remember that Jesus, in, uh, before he got started with his ministry, still had the Holy Spirit come upon him. So again, we're seeing the two different instances. We're seeing them both. Jesus, who already had the Spirit living within him, still had to go be baptized by a man named John the Baptist, who happened to be his cousin, who prepared the way for the Lord. And then the Holy Spirit came upon him. Why does the Holy Spirit come upon someone if the Holy Spirit's already living within someone? And these are the two differences that we're looking at. The first is the Holy Spirit dwells within you to establish the right character to help you have the character of the kingdom of God. And see, a lot of people, they want to get their hands on the gifts of the Spirit. A lot of people, and... and I'll be honest with you, throughout this series, we are going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. We are going to talk about the power 
of the Spirit. We're going to talk about what the, how the, the Holy Spirit gives you power because Jesus promised them power. Remember that in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But that came after he already had the conversation with them of, I'm giving you an assignment, I'm sending you into the world as I've been sent, and you have to have the Holy Spirit. And he gave them the Holy Spirit at that point. But a lot of people skip that. They skip the character side, and they want the Holy Spirit's power, or they want the Holy Spirit's presence, or they want to, to be able to do what the Holy Spirit enables you to do, but they don't want to live the way the Holy Spirit enables them to live. And so basically what we have is we have a bunch of people, a bunch of believers, a bunch of Christians that want to go around um, with power of the Holy Spirit, but they don't have the right character. Now I'll tell you, I'll tell you right now, it is possible. If you look at the church in Corinth, the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul writes to them. And in the same chapter, remember these are letters that he wrote. These weren't just, I'm going to write a book of the Bible today. He was writing letters and they became a book of the Bible. So he's writing a letter to the church of Corinth because he was hearing things that were going on. He had gone there, established a church, left the church with someone else, and now he's hearing things. Word is getting back to him on what he's doing or, or what's happening at the church. So now he's writing back to them and saying, this is happening and this is happening. This shouldn't be happening. But within the same letter, he rebukes them for things that are happening in the church that shouldn't be happening in the church. But he also tells them that they are a zealous church. He tells them that the gifts of the Spirit are in operation. The power of the Holy Spirit is being made evident in their services. But yet they're backbiting. They're gossiping. They're arguing. There was incest going on in the church. People are having improper sexual relations within the church. Yet we've got laying on of hands. Yet we've got gifts of the Spirit. Yet we've got tongues and interpretation of tongues. These things are all happening at the same time, what had happened? They got a hold of the power of the Holy Spirit, but they didn't allow the Holy Spirit to continue to develop their character. They didn't allow the Holy Spirit to continue. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit went to the wayside, and the, the filling of the Holy Spirit is what they got all jacked and excited about. So in the church, they're acting one way, and then outside, they're acting like the world. And Paul had to address this. And this is happening today. This is happening today. Why would God allow the gifts of the Spirit to be in operation in someone that doesn't have the right character? Because the gifts of the Spirit are for the world, to show the world that God is God. And he's going to do that no matter what the cost. But it is on the person's responsibility to remain accountable, to, to live like a Christian if they're going to do the works of a Christian. And we've gotten over to the work side and we've gotten away from the character side. There is a character that comes with the kingdom. It's not all about the power and, and tongues and gifts and, and all these different things that people got excited about the Holy Spirit for. The Holy Spirit is there to help us develop that character just as much. And so that's why Jesus, in, at the end of John, could tell his disciples, the Holy Spirit is coming to live within you. So you can have the right character. So you can show people what the character of the kingdom looks like. But I need you to go to Jerusalem. And in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he actually says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. But that doesn't negate the fact that we still need the Holy Spirit to live within us to help enable us to have the right character. The character of the kingdom is made evident through the fruits of the Spirit. And the power of the kingdom is made evident through the gifts of the Spirit. There are nine of each. There are nine fruits of the Spirit, and there are nine gifts of the Spirit. We know the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience. What are these things? This is the Holy Spirit working within us to help us produce love when we don't feel like loving. Helping us produce joy when we don't feel very excited or happy. Helping us produce patience when we're anxious and trying to get to a certain place on time. 
This is what the Holy Spirit is. Long-suffering, being long-suffering people, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness. This is the character of the Holy Spirit. And we forget that. And we, get, we just want to get a hold of the gifts of the Spirit. And it's very dangerous when someone allows their gift to get out in front of the fruit. And when we get into a gift position, we always need to remember to bear the fruit position. You know, um, one thing that I was very uh, thankful for in being a part of the church in St. Augustine is that um, Pastor Earl had established a very strong um, accountability on fruit and character, no matter what you were doing. No matter what your gift was, if someone had a gift in worship or if someone had a gift with kids or if someone had a gift in teaching, these are gifts that you give to the body of Christ. But the problem is, is a lot of churches these days don't care about what the person's lifestyle is and they have no checkup on how they live their life or what their home life is like or how they act when they go to a restaurant. And they can do anything outside there, but when they get in the church, you just got to act this way here. And if I don't know about it, then I don't want to know about it. The less I know, the better off you are. And that's just wrong. Because now we've let the gift get in front of the character. And there's no accountability. There's no checking up. I mean, I don't care if you are a children's worker. Character is of essence. You know, one of the saddest things is is being a children's worker and the next night going to see a rated R movie and you... See it, one of your kids in line at the movie. What are you seeing? Uh, I can't tell you that because it is out of my character for me to be doing what I'm doing. Just very simple things. And so we saw that Paul had to establish that, that stance and that position with the church in Corinth and say, look, you, you're operating in gifts of the Spirit, but the character has gone out the window. You don't care about how you talk to people. Uh, you don't care how you talk to each other. You're arguing and, 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 and backbiting in church. Uh, you've got relationships that are just completely immoral and improper. And these things have to be addressed because now you're, gonna be, now you're being held accountable. And it's not enough just to be operating in great gifts of the Spirit. I, I did a message not too long ago because, you know, a person can look spiritual. And we're all, uh, we're all more carnal than we think we are. We're all not as spiritual as we think we are. We give into the flesh at times, and we don't want to give in the flesh. And that's part of why we're going through this, is because a life in the Spirit and a life of the Spirit is so important. We, just, we think a life in the Spirit is, you know, have you, have you witnessed to someone today? Have you, did you lay hands on somebody? And we forget about the character. And we talk however we want to talk, and, and we treat people however we want to treat. And the character of the kingdom is just as important as the gifts and the power of the kingdom. The Holy Spirit first comes within someone to help them live a life of the Spirit. A life of the Spirit is not laying hands on everybody and, and casting out demons and, and doing signs and miracles and talking in tongues and interpreting and giving prophecies and, and I gave someone a word of wisdom today and that's not a life of the Spirit. A life of the Spirit is did you walk in patience with someone? Did you walk in love with someone? Did you, uh, did, did you have joy when there was no joy? When there was nothing to be excited about, did you still have joy? Was the joy of the Lord your strength. This is the life of the Spirit. And so we have to identify the kingdom. I was going to say, you know, I, I taught a message not too long ago on the fruits of the Spirit versus the gifts of the Spirit. Because we look at someone's life and we think that they're spiritual because they do certain things in the church. But then you see them fail in other arenas, or then you see, uh, you know, their character goes out the window, but the character and the fruit is what proves what you really are and what you're really putting in you and you will bear fruit you know I, i've i've had people uh you know that i used to be associated that i that i've seen just recently things happening and things things are happening that are brought into question but you think no because they used to do this in church and this used to happen and they used to say this and they used to act like this 
But bottom line is, is if the character's not there, the gifts don't mean anything. The character is what we need to look at. Well, how do you know that they're, that they're really hearing from God and, and that they're supposed to leave and they're supposed to do this thing? Well, time. Just give them time. Time always proves out character. Character is fruit. When the Bible talks about fruit, it's talking about the character of something. And Jesus said that you will bear fruit. And whatever goes in, fruit comes out of what goes in. If you, if you put apple seeds in the ground, you're going to get an apple tree. If you put orange in the ground, you're going to, if you put cotton in the ground, you're going to get cotton. I mean, you, you can't disassociate it. You can't get it wrong. Well, I put apples in the ground, but somehow I got grapes. I mean, I don't, it doesn't happen that way. So you can tell by, you can tell what someone is putting in by what is coming out. And you may not see the fruit immediately. And it leaves people confused and it leaves people scratching their head. I mean, I know there's people that I'm thinking, man, why are they doing this? And then you wonder, okay, are they hearing from God? But you just give it time. And they'll do something that's just, well, okay, there it is. Because the Holy Spirit wouldn't. You know, it's funny because there's one particular person that I've seen recently that, uh, you know, did a lot of stuff in our church. Was, was you know, way up there and, and busy and putting their, putting their hand to things and, and, and doing stuff. And then, you know, you, you start to see them fall away and it's like, you know, and they're always talking about being led by, you got to be led by the Spirit. You can't be led by man. You can't be led by what they say. Or you can't be, don't follow a man, follow the Holy Spirit. And it's like, okay, well, that's good. But, you know, you know something's wrong, but you just can't pinpoint it. And then they do something, and it's like, just ask the question. Would, did the Holy Spirit tell you to do that? What part of the Holy Spirit told you that it was okay to say that about that person? You start seeing little little things, and it's like, it identifies them. It's the fruit. And then you immediately are able to, they're not being led by the Spirit. They're not following the Holy Spirit like they think they're following the Holy Spirit and like they say. Because, period, this Bible lays out what a life in the Spirit looks like, and you're not doing that. So you're not being led by the Spirit. These things we have to look for. These things we have to be... Um, associated with because we want to live a life by the spirit not based upon how much good we do and and how spiritual we look at church but by our character and the holy spirit has been placed within us there's the holy spirit within us that helps us live the right character now the second part and i'm just i'm just going to lay a foundation i'm not going to get into it we'll spend next week doing that but the second part is the Holy Spirit coming upon someone. The Holy Spirit coming upon someone. Let's look at it in Acts chapter 2 real quick. Acts chapter 2. Most of us know this chapter. This is the day of Pentecost. And in Acts chapter 2 verse 1, remember that Jesus just said, Go to Jerusalem and wait there for the promise of the Holy Spirit. He's already placed the Holy Spirit within them. Now he's telling them to go and wait for the Holy Spirit. He's going to, and telling them to wait for something that supposedly he's already given them. But we're finding out there's two different things. The first thing he, told, first thing he did was put the Holy Spirit within them so they could live out the character of the kingdom. The character has to come first. But the second thing was he told them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise that I've been telling you about, the Holy Spirit who will fill you with power. So look at this in chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is what we call the day of Pentecost, and this is the infilling of the Holy Spirit. The first thing we saw was that the Holy Spirit comes inside of you to live inside of you, to dwell within you, to establish good character of the kingdom. But the second thing 
that we're seeing here is now the Holy Spirit is coming upon somebody to enable them and empower them for ministry in the kingdom and for work in the kingdom. So the first thing we saw was the Holy Spirit comes and lives within you to help you make right choices. But now the second thing is the Holy Spirit comes upon you to empower you to do the work of the kingdom. Well, what is the work of the kingdom? Well, what did Jesus do? Jesus had control over all the earth. There was nothing that Jesus could not do. There was nothing that was an obstacle or a hindrance to Jesus that kept him from fulfilling his purpose. There was no uh, storm. There was no uh, demon. There was no sickness. In fact, he came to make all those things right. He came to get rid of the demons. He came to get rid of sickness. He came to have control over death. That is the work of the kingdom. Jesus did not do any miracles, did not do any signs and wonders until he had those Holy Spirit come upon him. Now remember, Jesus already had the Holy Spirit living within him to do what? To make right choices, to live out the character of the kingdom. But now the Holy Spirit is coming upon him when he came up out of the water so he could heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, do signs and wonders, do miracles. That is the second part of the Holy Spirit. Every believer, when you are born again, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within you. But there is an additional gift. There is an additional gift. It is a free gift. If you look in uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, you can continue on. And we'll spend some more time going into this next week, but I'm just laying a foundation here. Uh, Peter ends up preaching on the day of Pentecost. And Peter said to them, Repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is a gift, a free gift. For the promise is to you and your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So right there he identifies the Holy Spirit is for everybody. It's not for a certain group of people. It's not for this person, this person, but not for this person. God is not going down the line saying, you get the Holy Ghost, you get the Holy Ghost, you don't get the Holy Ghost. It's not happening. The Holy Spirit is a free gift for everyone. You already have the Holy Spirit living within you to establish good character, to establish the character and helping you make right choices. But there is a free gift that ought to come upon every man to enable and empower him to do the work of the kingdom. That is, to bring heaven to the earth. And this is not accomplished without the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, receiving the Holy Spirit as a free gift, you will not do the work of the kingdom. You will not have power over sickness and death. You will not have power over disease. You will not have power over storms. And what I mean by that is simply having power over the earth. I mean, the first miracle that Jesus ever did wasn't casting a demon out, wasn't raising someone. It was turning water into wine. What's he doing? I have dominion and authority on this earth the way God originally intended man to have. The earth isn't to, the earth isn't to control me. I control the earth. I call the shots. If I need this water to become something else, then it will be something else. If I need this fig tree to die, then it will die. If I need this storm to stop so I can get to the other side, then I will get to the other side. And the storm will cease. And I'll tell it to cease. And it will obey me. And they were astonished. They said, who is this man? That even the winds and the waves. He was operating the way God originally intended man to operate when he created Adam. There was nothing that was in the way. Jesus said, you can tell a mountain to be removed and be cast into the sea. What's he saying? The dominion and the authority that you ought to be walking in, you have. But that comes by receiving the Holy Spirit. And the evidence of the Holy Spirit was speaking in other tongues. At this particular instance, we saw that the evidence came as tongues of fire and a sound of a mighty rushing wind. 
Now, notice that there was not actually fire, and there was not actually a wind. We may have seen movies. We may have seen television shows that show fire on their heads and, and, uh, and show, you know, things being blown around, but that's not what it says. It says a sound as a mighty rushing wind. So it was as, not actually a mighty rushing wind. It says tongues as of fire, which means not actually fire, but tongues that look like fire or that gave a resemblance of fire. But it was not actually fire. Okay? So, you know, we, we don't need to get into a debate saying, well, if, you know, if we don't see tongues on their head and we don't hear things being blown around or, or you know, see things being blown around, then they didn't really receive the Holy Spirit. The evidence of the Holy Spirit is being filled with other tongues. Now, in this particular instance, when they received tongues, they were actually speaking in someone else's language. They were speaking in a language they didn't know. Because there were all kinds of people outside that heard them speak, and they said, what is all these, all these people from Galilee? And they're talking in our tongue. And they were, from, they were from Judea, from Samaria, from all the surrounding regions who had come to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. But the Bible does go on to say that there is an unknown tongue. That there is a tongue that you receive that helps you talk directly to God. And so all these things we'll, we'll get into next week. But the thing I want to lay out tonight is there are two, two ways to receive the Holy Spirit in your life. At salvation, when you are born again, you receive the Holy Spirit to dwell in you so you can live the character of the kingdom, help you make right decisions. This is living the life of the Spirit. We saw in Romans chapter 8 that if you don't have the Spirit living within you, then you're not a Christian. If the Holy Spirit is not living within you, helping you make right choices, then you're not a believer. But thank God when we ask Jesus to come into our life, we make him the Lord of our life. We believe he died on the cross, rose again. The Holy Spirit comes and lives within us, dwells within us, and helps us establish character of the kingdom. The second thing that we saw was that the Holy Spirit then, as a free gift, comes upon you to empower you to do the work of the kingdom, to empower you to do the work of ministry. And so those are the two different areas. And next week we'll get more into doing uh, the work of the kingdom and the evidence of the Holy Spirit coming upon someone. Amen? Well, Father, we thank you this evening. We're thankful for the Holy Spirit, that you have given him to us to help us accomplish our will and purpose on this earth. Father, we're so thankful that uh, you sent your son to die on the cross, to rise again, that we can believe on him, so that sin can be removed from our lives and the kingdom can come and live within us. You said that the kingdom is not here or there, but it is within us. So, Father, I thank you. You have given us the, the purpose, the assignment to bring heaven to earth. And that we will do all that we can to accomplish that goal. To accomplish the assignment that you have given to man. It was your original intent. It was your plan from the beginning that the earth would look like heaven. And that is our purpose. That is our will. That is your will through us. And you have not left us alone. But you have given us a helper. The Holy Spirit to help us accomplish this task. To help us accomplish your will. In the earth. Father, I thank you this evening for every person here. They are blessed. They've given their time to come and hear the word spoken tonight. And I thank you for the rest of our week. That we'll have a great week going into this weekend. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, I want to take up our tithe and offering if we, if we have any. Um, uh, Jimmy, if you can help me out with that. We'll take up our tithe and offering. We're continuing to to do everything that um, is needed to be done here. Obviously, you can see that we've done some painting. We've gotten some things going up, and it's looking good. Uh, my next move is to get carpet in here. And so hopefully, um, probably next week, first week of the new year, we'll try and make a run and, and get that going down. But um, all this has been... Uh, made possible because you're giving and because you continue to give into the kingdom and, and see the work that is uh, going on here. And this is just a starting ground. Uh, you know, we want to do things with excellence. We want things to look good, but it's not about what we do in this building. 
more than what we're going to do outside this building. But when we when we bring people into the kingdom, we want to bring them here. This is where you'll learn, grow in the word, and be able to go out, and that's how you change your community. Um, you know, I'm not going to change someone's community by just going up in there and, you know, standing on a corner and preaching. Um, God has called me here. Uh, but we will bring people here, and we will send them out, and that's how we'll change this city. Amen? So let me pray over our tithe and offering. Father, we thank you that every need is met at this church. I thank you, Father, that we have a body that is uh, a giving body, cheerful givers, that bring their resource, they bring their finance to the kingdom, that they're obedient to your spirit to uh, give as you tell us to give, Father. And we're thankful that we're seeing the work of the kingdom accomplished in and through us. I thank you, Father, that uh, we will do whatever is needed, whatever needs to happen, uh, so that we can be the impact and the influence in this city that you have called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this weekend we will be here, and it's going to be New Year's Day, but I can't think of a better way to start out uh, a new year than to be in church. Amen. So we will be here, uh, New Year's Day service. At regular time, we'll have prayer at 9 a.m., and then we will have our service at 10.30 a.m. We'll have child care and all that. We didn't have child care um, on Sunday because it was Christmas and, you know, wanted the family together. But we will have child care. It's going to be a regular day for us. Uh, Also remember that we have discontinued our Sunday evening services. So, you know, starting this Sunday, we will only have Sunday morning. Uh, We will not be back that evening, but we will have our Sunday morning at 10.30. I've got a great word. Um, God's really shown me some stuff that I want to cast for the new year and kind of catapults us in uh, for 2012. And so um, come excited, come ready to receive, and um, we'll have a good time. Amen. We love you all.